you say Shy City? Shy City? Shy City? I'm coming home again. Do you think about me now and then? Yeah. Do you think about me now and then? Everybody, welcome back to the Football Rewind. This is kind of a special edition of the Football Rewind. We are going to have an episode tomorrow as planned. I put out on Twitter that I was going to hold the show until tomorrow when NFL free agency officially hits. But there have been so many moves today, and there's probably going to be so many moves tomorrow when uh, NFL free agency officially opens that we're just going to go off the cuff today. This is... Not scripted at all. We have, I literally have no notes in front of me other than the list of uh, players that have signed. We're just going to talk about the free agency signings today. Now, keep in mind, too, that nothing is official until the league year for 2018 starts tomorrow on March 14th, and I believe it's 4 p.m. Eastern time. So none of these deals can even be finalized until then. So keep that in mind, but there are people that have agreed to to deals and whatnot, and there are people that have sh- just shown interest and blah, blah. It, there's, it's been an absolute frenzy today in free agency, so we're just going to talk about the guys that have signed today or have agreed in theory to terms today and what that means, talk some figures, uh, see how it all goes, and it all started actually last night is when it started. It started around, I think it was midnight, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., uh, Allen Robinson signed with the Chicago Bears, again, in theory. I'm going to use signed because that's just a convenient buzzword for me. But just, just know in your head when I say that, again, it's not official. Like, he can't put ink to paper until uh, the, the league year starts. But, I mean, he's, he's going to be a Bear unless something catastrophic happens. So, uh, Allen Robinson, in theory, agreed to that deal with the Bears. So, he's going to be a Bear long-term. And that's not the only deal that the Bears signed. Uh, the Bears... Got two more weapons in Trey Burton, uh, the tight end for the Eagles. He was the backup tight end. He spent most of his career as the backup. However, he's rated as one of the most efficient tight ends. Now he'll be the fifth highest tight end, fifth highest paid tight end in the league. He signed for thirty-two million dollars. That's roughly eight million per year, I believe. And uh, so the the Bears have their starting tight end of the future. Trey Burton, get used to that name in Chicago at Soldier Field. A new weapon for Mitch Trubisky. After they already went and got Allen Robinson, who in my opinion, best free agent wide receiver on the market, even ahead of Sammy Watkins. If you took injuries out of it just based off pure ability and t- took that big question mark out of it, which, by the way, it's a huge question mark for both players. Sammy Watkins is oft injured, has fought through a series of injuries and hasn't really been able to play a full season often. He was able to stay healthy for an entire season this year. However, he didn't post up the biggest numbers. They used him essentially as a red zone threat. And I think the main reason for that with Watkins uh, is because he wasn't in camp with Sean McVay. He came over in a trade, remember, from the Bills uh, to start the year, so he missed all that preseason work with first-year head coach Sean McVay, and I think he kind of saw the result of that as he kind of got lost in the offense, but not to get too far off on a tangent here, uh, Allen Robinson, I think, has the better base-level talent. Now, he's coming off a ACL, so that ACL was at the very beginning of the season, which is good because he has had several more months to recover from it than, say, Carson Wentz, who got injured at the end of the regular season in that 3 o'clock afternoon game against uh, the Los Angeles Rams. So ACL, obviously, a greater greater 
a great, an injury of greater significance, that's the phrase I'm looking for, than have been Sammy Watkins' injuries in the in the past. I know he had that plantar fasciitis uh, of the foot, which can be really hard to recover from, but once you do, it's more just the lengthy recovery process. Once you do, I don't know if it's uh, something that is necessarily a recurring thing or you lose a step, it infringes on your ability to to be a talented wide receiver moving forward. Uh, since we were talking about Sammy Watkins so much at the top of this podcast, let's just say he, he went to the Chiefs and he got a lot of money to go there. That was very that was a surprising landing spot for me. I didn't think that he was going to go to the Chiefs. Now, I remember telling Colby and some of my other buddies, I thought the Rams were going to let him walk. I didn't think that Sammy Watkins was going to re-up with the Rams just because of the way that they used him and they were fine without him. It's like... Why are you going to waste all your cap money and your cap space to try and keep Sammy Watkins in town when you don't really use the asset all that much? And their offense wasn't the wasn't bad without him too, right? Like they did just fine with Robert Woods and some of the other guys that they have. Cooper Cup on that offense, they did just fine, and they run it basically through Todd Gurley. And the passing game is run off scheme more than it is talent. Because, in, and you saw that with uh, Watkins, they were so creative in drawing up plays to use his size and athleticism in the red zone. And that's why I think he put, still put up like something like seven or eight touchdowns. So uh, Watkins going to the Chiefs is interesting to me because um, it, it's, it's just an interesting fit with Coach Reed. So they already have Tyreek Hill and Kareem Hunt. Now they finally have a bona fide wide receiver. And it's the first one they've had in years. Now, I know Jeremy Macklin had some success there, and I'm a big Macklin guy. I love him. He had a good, solid run of a year or two there at the end of his prime before he started fading away. But the Chiefs haven't had consistent wide receiver play for a very, very long time. And Tyreek Hill, again, is more of like a gadget wide receiver. He doesn't line up on the outside, and he's not, he's not, he's not your prototypical number one wide receiver. And so they finally have that in Watkins, who, by the way, is only 25 years old. I think that's what's so intriguing about him and Allen Robinson is it's not every day you see a wide receiver that talented that reaches the free agent market at that young of an age. Usually guys are not keen on letting their talented players go, guys that are considered top 10 or 20 at the position when they're that age. Now, I think the injury concerns and just the teams kind of having success without them going in a different direction is kind of where all this factors in. I am surprised that the Jags ended up letting Robinson get away from them. Tom Coughlin, though, he knows what he's doing. If it was me, I would have tried to re-sign Robinson, but I get the injury concern. And they instead opted to re-sign Marquise Lee, who they took in the first round, was getting close to bust territory. And in the last, oh, I don't know, year and a half, he's really flashed and shown some potential, the wide receiver out of USC. And so... uh He's going to be their number one guy, you would think, moving forward, along with Alan Hearns and Leonard Fournette out of that backfield. Uh, by the way, the, the Chiefs deal with Sammy Watkins is three years and $48 million, which is about $16 million a year. $30 million of that is guaranteed. So the Chiefs have Sammy Watkins locked up for three years. And man, what a payday for Sammy Watkins, a guy at 25 years old, who I think, I mean, you could make the argument in contract negotiations if you're the opposing team. If you're the team, not the player, I guess, man, dude, you've been injured. You haven't exactly posted, I mean, elite wide receiver numbers. It's, you're more drafting the potential and the trajectory of the player along with his age than you are anything else. I think Sammy Watkins did freaking well for himself. I think it's tip, it's 
the agent typically gets about 3% of the contract that they negotiate. Sammy Watkins may want to give his agent a little bit more than that. His agent did pretty well for him there. So uh, the Bears deal with Allen Robinson, I guess. See, Allen Robinson got three years, 42 mil. So not a whole lot less, but I mean, Robinson signed for less than Watkins did. And in my opinion, Robinson's the better wide receiver. I think he is more talented than Watkins. I think he has shown an ability to be an elite wide receiver in the NFL. I, I still don't know if Sammy Watkins is that guy. Now, I think Sammy Watkins is more of a deep threat and has better speed than Robinson does, but his his he shows a series of injuries, whereas Robinson just has the ACL, really, and that's something that we've seen time and time again. Guys are able to come back from that. Jordy Nelson is a guy that comes to mind. Adrian Peterson, another one. It's not... With the technology and medicine today, the ACL injury isn't as career-ending as you may think, uh, or as it once was. Uh, guys can come back from that now, now, a little bit easier nowadays than they did in the past. Now, I will say, for every Jordy Nelson or Adrian Peterson that comes back, there's a guy that tears it, and he's just never the same. Uh, D'Angelo Hall, cornerback uh, and safety for the Redskins, uh, he's had the Achilles rupture and the ACL happen to him, poor guy. And he said that the ACL was way harder to come back from than the Achilles was, which I thought was really interesting because I thought, especially as a defensive back, the Achilles takes away your explosive ability. Uh, the knee injury is big because it kind of affects your ability to maybe cut on a dime and it affects your ability to be as sharp as you know, as you were before your injury. But the Achilles injury, I've heard really takes away some of that explosive nature that is so essential in the NFL at the cornerback position especially. So to hear him say that the ACL was way more difficult, again, every guy is different, but I think that still does show that the ACL is a significant enough injury. You know, uh, when an injury gets talked about, it, once we start walking this ACL thing down, it's going to get to a point where, oh yeah, guys can come back from it. They don't get injured. Uh, you know, it's not a career-ending injury like it once was. Uh, it'll eventually get to a point where it's like, hey, the ACL injury, it's still super significant. And I think you saw that with the contract negotiations in Allen Robinson. He only gets $42 million a deal. I think it, with the overall scope of it, he's been the more healthy, more productive NFL player and I think has the brighter future. But because of that injury concern, Sammy Watkins, who's been injured more often but less significantly, was able to get more money from the Chiefs. And... uh just how about the Bears? Let's talk about the Bears for a second. So they also signed Taylor Gabriel over from the Atlanta Falcons, who is just a speed guy. And I thought that Sarkeesian, one of his biggest shortcomings as the offensive coordinator of the Falcons this past season, was his inability to effectively use Taylor Gabriel. Uh, Kyle Shanahan, the year before, turned Taylor, Taylor Gabriel into a stud, used him how he was supposed to be used. He's incredibly explosive, a route runner, a guy that's a complete mismatch because nobody can keep up with the dude. Uh, I think that's a huge ad for the Bears, a team that has that started to put together a little bit of a role for guys like that in their offense, like Tariq Cohen. He's very much the receiver version of Tariq Cohen. I put together a little list in the notes on my iPhone, which I was going to post on Twitter just to see, fun little game, who goes where. I'm not going to do it anymore because everybody practically is freaking already signed, and I only got to the linebackers uh, before I went to bed because I was doing it. I look up, it's 
2 a.m. in the morning. I'm like, good Lord, I got to get some sleep. So I thought the Bears were going to go after Tavon Austin, who was recently let go by the Rams. I thought he would have been a great fit in Chicago. They get a guy that is very similar in Taylor Gabriel. So now we were talking about, if you read my article on Facebook, how the Bears were just so dry at the position. Possibly and honestly probably the worst wide receiver group, right up there with the worst wide receiver group in the NFL for Mitch Trubisky's rookie season. They can no longer use that as an excuse for Trubisky because now he has a bona fide number one in Allen Robinson. They'll have Cam Meredith, who looked like a number one wide receiver, coming off the uh, ACL injury. Hopefully he is kind of the same, I guess. He could end up being your number two wide receiver starting across from Allen Robinson. Taylor Gabriel's your slot guy. You have Jordan Howard, Tariq Cohen in the backfield, along with Mitch Trubisky. And, uh, oh, by the way, Kevin White, he's still around. A uh, former first-round pick who is, again, entering bus territory if he doesn't turn around and in a hurry. The Bears and Ryan Pace are probably going to cut bait with him. And the Bears, I've heard... Could be in on Jordy Nelson, who was recently cut by the Packers literally just an hour or two ago. Um, I think, I mean, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a little bit once we get to his signing. We're kind of going in chronological order here. But he's a guy that the Bears could target. Uh, I've also heard the Lions, the Cowboys, uh, been mentioned as possible landing spots for him. I've heard the Raiders, too, as a potential landing spot for Jordy Nelson with John Gruden. He's, He's such a Gruden guy. I mean, when you look at it. He is, he's, he would just be, he would be a Raider in that offense. And uh, so, so yeah, moving, moving forward, then you had the other free agent signing that happened last night at about 11. Uh, Case Keenum went to the Broncos. So that was the first uh, domino to fall, I guess. And so then Kirk Cousins announced his intention. And now that whole thing is, is kind of fuzzy to me still. I've heard basically everybody's like, oh, Kirk Cousins to the Vikings, Kirk Cousins to the Vikings. But then when I, go on social media, all the verified accounts, all the people that cover this stuff for a living, and that they haven't ever, they haven't said Kirk Cousins intends to sign with the Vikings. I haven't read a single thing that says that. Now, maybe I'm missing it, but uh, they've just said that it's likely he's having dinner with them tonight. He's probably going to ink a deal tomorrow, but I haven't heard that it's like set in stone. They've agreed to terms, I guess. Now, I... Uh, Heard that the rumor out there, I think, was $86 million for three years for Kirk Cousins. So maybe they have come further along and have solidified that, but I've basically just heard that it's likely at this point. And so unless something, unless something changes, I'm going to take that as Kirk Cousins is going to the Vikings and Case Keenum is coming to the Broncos. Again, if something goes down tomorrow, then we'll be here to talk about it. But until then... Kirk Cousins is in a Vikings uniform, $86 million a year. I told you guys on the podcast last week that I thought the better landing spot for him was going to be in Denver because everybody, I think, is kind of quick to say that. I heard Colin Coward today talking about how the Vikings are going to be the preeminent team to beat in the North now. And they're certainly up there, contenders. They're at the cream of the crop in the division. They've won the division two of the last three years. But, let I mean, let's be really frank about this, okay? The NFC North was a one-team division last year. The Lions are a middling organization and have been for the last couple years. The Bears are rebuilding, had a rookie quarterback, and Aaron Rodgers was hurt for most of the year. And before that, the Packers, excuse me, had one loss uh, on the season going into that game where the Vikings actually, ironically enough, were the team that ended up taking him out. So the rest of the way, they kind of won the division by default, got the bye, and... If it's not for a play that we refer to as the Minneapolis Miracle, 
They're one and done in the playoffs once again, like the last time they won the division, and Blair Walsh missed the kick uh, against the Seattle Seahawks that sent them home. So I don't know if I'd be too quick to crown them. I'd slow your horses on that one. Surely they're a contender in the division, but it, and it's not so much that they're, they've gotten worse because they, they've gotten better. Uh, they certainly have gotten better. And now the one weakness of that team, the offensive line and the consistency at the quarterback position, well, they've solved the consistency at the quarterback position. Now they got to get that offensive line right. Dalvin Cook's coming off a season-ending injury. I'm pretty sure that was an ACL tear as well. So we'll have to see how he looks coming back from that. They have the two wide receivers in Diggs and Thielen, but they lost their offensive coordinator in Pat Shermer. Now, I've heard nothing but great things about John DeFilippo, who came over uh, from the Eagles to be the offensive coordinator for the Vikings. I've heard that he's just going to do a bang-up job and knock it out of the park from some scouts that know him. But you cannot, until DeFilippo proves that he can come in and kind of pick up where Shermer left off. I think that's an underrated move, an underrated loss for the Vikings right now. That Vikings offense had all the same players before Shermer got there, and they weren't anything. They, they weren't considered this awesome roster with up-and-coming team, especially on the offensive side of the ball, because they were just a mess until Shermer got there and was able to use those players correctly and make them better. So now the test is, can Filippo? do the same thing with Cousins. The other big thing here that people have to understand with the Vikings is now you have signed him to this $86 million contract over the next three years that's significantly going to inhibit and handcuff you in being able to keep your players when their contracts expire. The, all these guys that got to get paid, Diggs, Barr, uh, Eric Kendricks, Sandejo, uh, Sandejo may have re-upped actually, but uh, all these good defensive players, they're, they're going to start getting picked off one by one by one because you have dealt all this money. So you're going to have to kind of plug and play and cut corners at other positions. That's just the way the NFL works. I'm not criticizing the Vikings for it because I think they absolutely made the right move. You have to have a quarterback. I preach that on this podcast all the time. It's better to try and just plug in those guys when you do start – having cap casualties and guys leaving for better contracts when their current contract expires that you can't re-sign them to the deal that they want. It's easier to just find a replacement and to replace those positions than it is to constantly have C-level quarterback play or inconsistent play at the quarterback position. So the Vikings did the right thing, but it's still something you have to consider here too because it's also not like Kirk Cousins signed a six- or seven-year deal. He's going to be playing the rest of his year in a Vi- rest of his career in a Vikings uniform. In three years, the Vikings are going to have to do this all over again when he's 33 years old if they want to keep him. So uh, the Vikings' window for championships is certainly now. But here's the other thing in the division. The Lions still have Matt Stafford, Golden Tate, Marvin Jones. They're going to fix that running back position, whether they get free agent veteran DeMarco Murray or some of these other veteran running backs that find themselves without a home. I think Carlos Hyde is a is a potential get for the Lions at that position, as well as drafting a young guy. Darius Geis has been attached to them at LSU. He's been connected with them in many mock drafts and rumors for the draft in this coming April. Uh in addition to that, the Bears all of a sudden look like a pretty good football team. They have answered all the questions on the offensive side of the ball. They have two great running backs. They have three or four deep at the wide receiver position now, and they have 
a pretty good defense. Now, again, their defense not as good as the Vikings or probably not in that elite tier yet. They are losing Jarrell Freeman, but they still have Danny Trevathan. They lost uh, McPhee and Willie Young, but they have Leonard Floyd. It's it's kind of a trade-off there. We'll see how the defense is, but they were able to keep up. They were able to lock up Kyle Fuller with, I believe it was the transition tax. They're going to try and work out a long-term deal with him. Ryan Pace, in short, is doing a fantastic job, and I think that they have put all the weapons around Trubisky that they need. Matt Nagy and this Bears staff is very much emulating the Rams model. What did they do when McVay came into into Los Angeles, right? Jared Goff didn't look that impressive as a rookie. Now, I think Trubisky looked better than Goff did as a rookie, but still, not very effective. The Bears just simply didn't pass the ball. Now, John Fox wasn't a very good head coach. I mean, it seemed like he was barely trying at times. But the Bears, I think you're seeing, are following that, that Rams model here. They're, now in his second year, Trubisky's going to have all these guys around him, right? What did the Rams do for, for Goff? They signed a couple offensive linemen in Whitworth. They got the running game going with Todd Gurley. They bring over Sammy Watkins. They bring over Robert Woods. They still have Tavon Austin. They have, uh, they start, that, that defense looked a lot better when they didn't have to be on the field all the time, right? They moved LaMarcus Joyner to safety. They moved Mark Barron down to linebacker. Both those moves ended up working out. Tremaine Johnson was a stud. Now, They've made incredible moves at the cornerback position. Tremaine Johnson's going to walk, but they traded over for Marcus Peters. They bring him over from the Chiefs. They bring over Aqib Tlaib from the Broncos, and all of a sudden, bang, their secondary is unbelievable. And oh, by the way, they extended Nickel Roby Coleman today as well. So they have three corners that are really, really, really good. And so you're seeing the Bears, I think, kind of follow that same model. Now, they still have a lot of work to do. I think their roster isn't anywhere near what the Rams was because, to be perfectly honest with you, Jeff Fisher had a good roster. He just didn't know what to do with it. Matt Nagy or John Fox, that's a little bit different scenario. He simply didn't didn't have very many players on that team. But the Bears are in good shape, and I know I'm kind of rambling on about the Bears here, but... To make my point, Rodgers is going to be back. The Packers are making moves. They have a new GM that's been, it's going to be way more aggressive. Uh, so the, the division, I think, is going to be maybe the toughest in the NFL next season and for the foreseeable future. I don't see the Vikings as locks to win that division at all, at all, by a long shot. They're certainly contenders, and I, uh, right up there. They have just as much of a shot as anybody does in the division at this point, but that's all it is because the Bears are up and coming. I'm so interested to see what they look like uh, in, this fall if they're finally going to turn the corner here. Now, still, I think they could be like an eight and eight, nine and seven, seven and nine range, right? But that's such a such a huge improvement. Uh, for Matt Nagy in that division, especially considering the difficulty of the division this season. That would be a huge improvement for the Bears moving forward. And then it's watch out. The Lions get Matt, uh, head coach Matt Patricia over from from the Patriots, so they've remodeled things. The Packers completely restructured their front office. So they're, I guess what I'm trying to say here is everybody loves to crown a winner in the offseason, and just because the Vikings got Kirk Cousins, who I am a big fan of, it's not, you can't blow it out of proportion and you have to still keep it all in perspective. 
Case Keenum to the Broncos uh, is also a good move, I think. Uh, we haven't even talked about the Browns moves either, so let's talk about those two real quick. Case Keenum to the Broncos, I think, basically proves that the Broncos are going to take a quarterback with that top five pick. And I think I think they're going to trade up and try and get Josh Rosen. I think Elway likes Rosen. I think he sees a lot of himself in Josh Rosen, and I think that's who he wants to get. So he also knows that Vance Joseph and this team is on a short leash and they are one of those teams that's in the middle. They have all these outstanding players on the defense. They also have really good players at the wide receiver position. They exercised uh, Demarius Thomas's contract too. So he and Sanders, who were uh, considered potential cap casualties, are going to be traded. It looks like they're going to stay. And so Case Keenum's going to have all his pieces together on offense. I think C.J. Anderson has been in the news as he could get his contract restructured or could be in a different uniform come uh, fall 2018. But I don't, I, again, that's not a huge loss. I don't think if you do, uh, and I, again, I don't, I don't think that's just a preliminary thing. So him to the Broncos, I think, gives the Broncos a perfect stopgap quarterback to where uh, if you take Rosen, which I think they're going to do, or whether it's Darnold or Allen or Mayfield, I don't think there's any way that uh, Elway drafts Baker Mayfield, but. Uh, what, whoever he picks, there's certainly, I think, now a lock to take a quarterback in the top five. Uh, it, it, as it pertains to the Browns, their moves have been intriguing to me. Tyrod Taylor is a different beast. Uh, at 28 years old, he's now on his third organization. He was with the Ravens, then the Bills. Since becoming a starter, he's been unbelievable. And I don't understand why people think that he's a stopgap guy. Everybody says that the Browns should take, still take Darnold at one or who, or whoever. They still need a quarterback at one. And I, I, don't, I don't get that. He, Tyrod Taylor's 28 years old. He has something like the third best touchdown to interception ratios in the entire NFL since becoming a starter. The only two guys ahead of him in that department are Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. Not to mention the Bills are one of the most heavy, run-heavy offenses in the NFL. So people that point to Tyrod Taylor's stat, well, he doesn't throw touchdown passes. He doesn't throw for many yards. That's by design. The Bills don't let him. The Bills want to hand it to Shady McCoy 30 times a game and lean on their defense. Not to mention, built in is the fact that Tyrod Taylor is the closest thing we've had to Michael Vick since Michael Vick left. He's the most athletic quarterback in the NFL. That's not even part of the debate. But it's like, wow, what a huge bonus that is. Now, let's say you get Saquon Barkley. Now, all of a sudden, you have Jarvis Landry, Saquon Barkley, Josh Gordon, to go with Tyrod Taylor in the backfield and Duke Johnson, who's emerged as a really good third down back. And you'll have second year pro David Njoku, who was a tight end drafted in the first round. Now you're getting talent on the defensive end. Former first rounder Demarius Randall, who I am not a fan of. You get him though, and maybe he can revitalize his career in Cleveland. If not, it's, I mean, it's really no big deal because you still have all those high draft picks early on in the draft. You still have the, the fourth overall pick in the draft in addition to the first. You would think that one of those picks, they'll go defense. They already have Jabril Peppers. They already have Miles Garrett. This team could be on the up and up. I don't see Tyrod Taylor as a stopgap guy at all. He's 28 years old at the quarterback position. And he... He has all the metrics. He's a successful quarterback. I don't understand why people don't think that he's very good. He is not Case Keenum. He's a very good guy. He's a very good quarterback, talented guy. And so I think that he's getting shorted a little bit. We'll see what the Browns do. I think if they pick a quarterback number one overall, that's just a mistake. It's a mistake at this point. 
Now, I don't know if you take a running back at number one overall. I think what the Browns are doing is intriguing. I don't have the first clue as to what they're going to do with their picks now. But I can't wait to watch. Uh, I just think that I, I feel bad for Tyrod Taylor if it does end up they, they take a quarterback at number one and then they are two and four, three and three, they're middle in, and then he gets benched and... You know, it's just the quarterback carousel goes round and round in Cleveland. I think that now you have a 28-year-old guy. Let him be your guy for four or five years. I mean, you know what he can do. He's a talented guy. It's not like he's going to bust out. It's similar to the Kirk Cousins thing. I think Case Keenum has a little bit more questions because the only year he's really been successful in the NFL was last year with Pat Shermer. So he maybe has a little bit more questions. But these other veteran guys, you know that they can play. If they come there and suck, it's because... You, the Browns, are to blame, right? It's not because of Tyrod Taylor. And and, and that, again, points to some of their shortcomings at the quarterback position because they got sick of Deshaun Kaiser and sent him off. That guy has a lot of potential. I think he he showed some flashes of being really good. Again, he he led the NFL in interceptions this year. Well, if you're going to blame Deshaun Kaiser for not being able to turn around the Browns' quarterback problem, that's like blaming your bowels when they get the shits after you ate White Castle. Like, it's not your bowels' fault that you put White Castle in there, right? It's not Deshaun Kaiser's fault that the Browns are terrible and haven't had a quarterback since we turned the millennium. Tyrod Taylor immediately becomes the best Browns quarterback since 1999, easily, and there's no debate, and it's by a wide margin. So I would be very, very, very cautious about drafting a quarterback at number one and screwing over this guy that you just traded for. The other quarterback news, as we'll calm down from the Taylor rant, Drew Brees, uh, who is 39 years old, just re-upped for two years with the Saints. I believe he left a lot of money on the table. Maybe it was from the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, So he's going to be staying with the Saints. Drew Brees, exceptional guy, first ballot Hall of Famer. Wish him and the Saints nothing but the best. I think that's it, good for him. They're going to be tough. He's still playing at such a high level. He was just immaculate in that division game, bringing them back against one of the best defenses, probably the best defense in the NFC in the Vikings. And they should have won that game. They, out, they outplayed him. They should have won. And Drew Brees, man, he's going to be tough next year. I don't want to face him as a, as a Packers fan. Uh, the Chiefs on the defensive side, there wasn't very many defensive signings today yet. Uh, Anthony Hitchens, the linebacker for the Cowboys, I think he's actually pretty good. Uh, the Chiefs add him, so that'll be an interesting dynamic. They already have Reggie Ragland, and then they have Derek Johnson, who is uh, an older player, but a Chiefs fan favorite, and I think he's really good whenever I turn on the TV and watch him. Now, again, I don't know where they're at in terms of age with him, whether they're going to, if he'll become a cap casualty or whether it's just them adding depth. Uh, I don't know if signing Anthony Hitchens is, I don't know if the addition of Anthony Hitchens, rather, is enough for you to be like, all right, time to time to cut bait with him. Uh, the other interesting happening today was with the Miami Dolphins in at the wide receiver position. So they trade Landry. He's gone. They have Kenny Stills, and they bring in Danny Amendola and Albert Wilson, two guys that are uh, complimentary at best. Uh, Danny Amendola, I think, can basically attribute his success to Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. He'd probably be out of the league if he was on any team besides the Patriots, which I, which is why I thought it was extremely interesting why he chose to leave. Now, at this point in his career, maybe it's the reverse. You know, he's won his Super Bowls. He kind of just wants to get paid, but he's going to get clobbered by the Patriots twice a year now, and he's going to be 
fighting for the third wide receiver spot. Now here again, I guess I kind of understand it from this perspective. Some people view it as Belichick saved Amendola for the playoffs. No, he fell out of favor there. He was not a starting wide receiver. He was a second string guy. They brought in Chris Hogan to, and he essentially kind of replaced him, took his spot because they had Edelman, then Cooks, then uh, then it was Hogan, and then it was Amendola, who was the fourth receiver on the roster. And they rarely go four wide. They love to use two and three tight end sets with Marty Bennett and Gronk. This year it was uh, Gronk and the guy they brought over from the Colts. Forget it, his name escapes me, and we're not going to pause to take the time. But uh, I thought it was interesting that he decided to come over to the Dolphins. He's got some concussion problems. He's in the twilight of his career. I just think it's the additions on the offensive side of the ball for the Dolphins are just so weird. So you, you, you lost Landry. You traded away J.J., who is on contract for under a million next year. You could have had him for the rest of this year and next year at that same contract before he gets paid. He's playing for less than a million dollars a year, and he's easily a top 10 running back. So then they sign Albert Wilson, who's, I mean, again, been a complimentary guy for the Chiefs. You sign Amendola, who's been a complimentary guy for the Pats, to go with Kenny Stills, and then I assume you're presumably building around Devontae Parker. Devontae Parker's going to be the clear number one in that offense, which maybe that's good for uh, Ryan Tannehill, who's coming off that uh, knee injury. So, it, man, the Dolphins lo- are look interesting on offense. I'll just leave it at that. I don't know how they're, if they're going to be very good next year. Uh, in other news, on the defensive side of the ball, uh, the Lions re-signed Tavon Wilson, the safety. The Ravens released Danny Woodhead. I'm kind of just going through the list here. Dominique Rodgers-Camardi, DRC, was let go of by the Giants. He's got a couple visits lined up with the Redskins and the Saints. Speaking of which, too, the biggest overpay of the entire free agency day so far has been Paul Richardson to the Redskins. How many of you guys even know who Paul Richardson is? He came over from the Seahawks, I'll tell you that. He's been a, he's been a decent wide receiver, a decent guy. I would put him in the same class as a Taylor Gabriel or a Albert Wilson or a Danny Amendola. Now, Gabriel, I think, is a little bit better than is Paul Richardson. He provides uh, a higher floor for sure. But it's, <laughs> you know, it's it's certainly interesting. He He's the biggest winner, <laughs> certainly, of free agency because, the wow, the Redskins just get paid him a fortune relative to his production. I mean, I, I just don't get it. I don't even think that, like, he's repl- he's a replacement level wide receiver, in, I mean, in my opinion. I mean, I guess we'll see. They so, they so the Redskins now have totally restructured their offense as well. They have a hole at the running back position unless they want to start Samaj P. Ryan. They have Chris Thompson, but he's never going to be an every down guy. He's more of a third down uh, change of pace back. Uh, as far as the wide receivers go, they have uh, Josh Doxson, who they're really hoping, I guess, develops into a number one. He's a good red zone threat. They started to use the second-year guy a lot in the red zone this season. I assume they'll ask him to take on a bit a bigger role. Jamison Crowder is a is a about a six-footer. Uh, he's a, he's a guy that's a good route runner, has speed, but also isn't like so small that you can't set him over the middle, right? Uh, Paul Richardson, I don't know how he fits into that offense really. I mean, I guess he's going to play the slot. Uh, the Redskins, again, are a team that likes to go with two tight ends a lot of the time. So it'll be interesting to see 
what his role is. I mean, they, they gave him five years for $40 million over five years for Paul Richardson. My Lord. So, I mean, I mean, he better be a big part of your offense for that kind of money. And again, we'll see. Maybe, who knows, maybe Paul Richardson just goes off, has like 1,200 yards and eight touchdowns this season and completely makes me eat my words. But we'll see. I'm not optimistic on that. The other big moves I want to talk about Green Bay, and then I guess we can kind of wrap up this podcast today. Uh, Green Bay, I'm sitting here watching the Bears make all sorts of moves. The Vikings get cousins. The Lions are making some more under-the-radar moves, but those are the best ones. I'm, I'm telling you guys, the big winners in free agency, remember how we talked about how last season when the Patriots got Brandon Cooks and we're just like, oh my God, they're just destroying everybody this offseason. It's not even going to be fun to watch next year. Well, the Patriots, of course... They made it to the Super Bowl, <laughs> which I guess you can't say like that it was a failure, but they didn't win, and Brandon Cooks didn't have that good of a season in a Patriots uniform, right? So some of these big free agent signings are not always the best. Sometimes and it's the whole recency bias, and we get caught up in these contract figures. And no, you can't change your expectations based on what a guy's making. And some of these under-the-radar under the moves – keeping your team together, bringing in guys here or there that are really going to help you in your scheme, that those are more important and are it's again it's it's not quantifiable. You can't quantify uh how important those things are. It those are the those are big those are big moves. And so I, I think the Lions are actually doing a really nice job now. Ever, all the fans just get disappointed. They're like, they want to hear big names, big names, big names. But the Lions are doing a nice job. The Bears, I've, I, we've already stated how much the Bears have done. So the Pat, I'm watching the rest of the division just get rich today. And I'm like, come on, Gudikins, you said that you're going to be aggressive in free agency. I'm not seeing it. I'm seeing that Packers are interested in Sammy Watkins. Packers are interested in Allen Robinson. Then Allen Robinson goes to your arch rival, and Sammy Watkins goes to the Chiefs. Without, I didn't hear another peep out of the Packers other than the initial interest. So I'm waiting there for the Packers to do something. Then in the span of about a half hour, the Packers sign Jimmy Graham over from the Seattle Seahawks. They instantly have an elite tight end now, and they release Jordy Nelson. So I'm like, whoa, big changes coming. And we talked about, I talked about in the Facebook article about uh, – the potential cuts we talked about on this podcast, they could part ways with Clay Matthews, Randall Cobb, uh, Jordy Nelson. They approached Cobb about restructuring his contract. The contract stays the same for now. Uh, they, they, didn't, they didn't end up changing it. They ended up cutting Jordy loose after they signed Jimmy Graham, which is interesting. I mean, I wonder how Rodgers feels about it. Rodgers clearly recruited Jimmy Graham. The Saints wanted to re-up with Graham. He has familiarity. He'd be playing with Drew Brees again. Uh, he, he would return to the organization where he played his best years. I thought that we'd lose out to the Saints on that for sure. But they were able to get him. And man, credit to Green Bay and Brian Gudikins. Ted Thompson wouldn't have signed Jimmy Graham in a million freaking years. And I'm so glad that guy's out. The stiff GMs in this league are a dying breed, my friends. You have to be aggressive in free agency. Who wants a general manager who's conservative in, 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 his, in the aspects of his job? You have to be aggressive intelligently aggressive. There's a fine line between aggressive and stupid, but you have to be aggressive and make your team better, especially when you have base pieces on the roster already around you. And I'm so happy that Ted Thompson and Capers are out the door. I never wish for guys to lose their jobs, right? It's a competitive 
It's a competitive business, a competitive industry. I get all that. I'm not rooting for Ted Thompson to lose his job, but just as a Packers fan, Gutekinst is so much the better option at this point. Uh, we have been middling and just skating by while our roster slowly gets picked off. Casey Hayward, gone. Uh, uh, he escapes me right now. TJ Lang, gone. Sitton, gone. In the division, by the way. Two linemen, gone. Jared Cook, gone. You're just slowly getting picked off and eaten away. And finally now, the Packers are changing things. And they're going to have a good roster. This is the beginning more than the end for the Green Bay Packers. Them signing Jimmy Graham and releasing Jordy Nelson, while I don't know how I feel about releasing Jordy Nelson, he's probably my favorite Packer on the team. I love Jordy. It's going to be so tough to watch him go. But I don't argue with the business behind it, right? It's probably going to make the Packers better. And now they're probably going to go draft or get another wide receiver to play opposite of Devontae Adams. Or they're going to use Cobb more. Jordy Nelson's 33 years old. He's had an ACL surgery, and he's starting to lose a little bit of that burst. I'm okay with you not having him for his decline, right? He's still a productive guy, and he has productive years in this league left. But you had him for his prime. You got the best years of Jordy Nelson. I'm okay with that, you know? So, again, it's the fan of me, it's tough to see him go. But Goot is doing the right thing. He signs Jimmy Graham. He instantly has a safety blanket for Rodgers. He has one of the best red zone threats at the position. Jimmy Graham is not what he once was. He's not going to separate from people a whole lot anymore. But Gronk doesn't separate from people, and he's still fine. With with Aaron Rodgers, I think you're going to see Jimmy Graham kind of revitalize his career a little bit. I wasn't a big fan of how the Seahawks used him. I think he's going to be used better in Green Bay. I would anticipate that. I mean, that's a big deal for the Packers to get a guy like Jimmy Graham. That's not a free agent we signed. It's just not. As long as I've been a Packers fan, or since I was old enough to understand football at like eight years old, we just don't get guys like that, man. We just don't sign guys like that. And so I'm really interested to see what they do moving forward. Jordy, on the other hand, let me talk about just Jordy for whatever team gets him, right? Again, we've heard I've heard interest in the division. The rest of the division all of a sudden loves Jordy Nelson. Surprise, surprise. Uh, both my friends, Colby, who's a Vikings fan, Mitch, who's a Bears fan, are texting me like, oh, Jordy, we're going to try to get Jordy when <laughs> you're talking trash. You know, they're all talking, everybody's talking trash about him until he becomes available. Then everybody, everybody wants him, which is funny. I've heard that the Raiders could maybe go after him. Again, I, I said at the beginning of the podcast, he's a Gruden guy, man. He would be really good there. I think that he could be a guy that could completely revamp his career in the slot. Similar to how uh, Larry Fitzgerald has done with the Cardinals. He's still a good route runner. Makes It has very good hands. Does the dirty work. Does the little things right. Jordy is, to, to use one of those buzzwords, he's a grinder, man. He is really good. And I think that he could do something similar to Fitz. Like he'd be willing to and has the ability to reinvent himself. We talked about Des Bryant, why he's fading out of the league is because he can't reinvent himself. He relied on sheer talent and athletic ability. And so now when that starts to decline in your late twenties and into your thirties, all of a sudden he's like, Oh, he's not good anymore. He's just not good because he doesn't have, he had the intangibles. Yeah. But he didn't have his craft cleaned up. He doesn't have the finer things as a plus to his game. Jordy Nelson absolutely does. I think that he would be so good out of the slot. 
he just can't be the number one guy on on your team anymore for the price that the Packers were having to pay him. It and, and you already have Randall Cobb in the slot. It just it made sense to uh, kind of go in a different direction and clear that cap space because now guess what? Once they restructure Aaron Rodgers' deal, so once Kirk signs, Rodgers' extension is going to come not soon after. That's going to free up a lot of cap space because they're going to backload that. That, in addition with Jordy, frees them up to sign multiple marquee free agents. I'm talking Trumaine Johnson-level guys to help fix that defense. I'm telling you, the Packers are at the beginning of this process, not the end of it. The other main guy that signed today before we wrap up this podcast as the, oh, the Cardinals released Adrian Peterson as well. Andrew Norwell, the top interior offensive lineman uh, from the Panthers, signed big with the Jags. I heard from a, an NFL scout that uh, he doesn't think that, he thinks the Andrew Norwell thing is one of the most overblown. It's right up there with AJ McCarron territory of like the biggest social media frenzy. He said that Norwell probably isn't even the best guard on his team. And so uh, he would advise to stay away from the big contract of Andrew Norwell. I mean, we'll see. I don't know how the Jags keep signing all these guys, man. It's unbelievable how much talent they've added to that roster. Tom Coughlin and the guys in that front office have done just one hell of a job over there. They bring over A.J. Bouye. They bring over Calais Campbell. They draft Leonard Fournette. Now you're bringing over Andrew Norwell. They use the top interior offensive lineman target in this free agent class. You still are able to sign Marquise Lee. Uh, you were able to bring over Barry Church last season. This this team is just ridiculous. I don't know why, I don't know how the Jags are doing it or where they're finding all this money. Uh, so, yeah, in addition to that, I think... Oh, okay, so another a veteran running back came off the board. DeMarco Murray isn't off the board uh, yet, he is taking a visit with Seattle, I believe, today. He took a visit with the Lions, and I think the Lions made a mistake letting him get out of the room. I think he would have fit great in that backfield. They need a veteran running back presence, I think, and uh, I think he would have been exceptional to go along with whoever you get in the draft as a one-two punch. I think a weakness immediately becomes a strength. I think the Lions, again, I don't know what their cap situation is. They got Tavon Wilson today. They got to take care of uh, Tahir Whitehead, their best linebacker. Uh, to keep him. I assume that they want to keep him. He's pretty young, and he was their best linebacker last year. So they got his deal to, to worry about, uh, as well as any other moves they want to make. We'll see if Seattle's able to sign DeMarco Murray. I don't know why DeMarco Murray would want to go to Seattle with that terrible offensive line that they have and the fact that they've just ruined running backs' careers over there the last couple seasons. I mean, you already you already saw that. You, you literally did that, DeMarco. You went to Philly, got stuffed at the line, and got incredibly frustrated before you went to Tennessee, and the holes were a lot bigger. I don't know why you'd want to put yourself in that situation. Again, I don't think the, the Lions' offensive line is, like, outstanding, but that's a team that has uh, some veterans and that has some pieces on offense. I'd rather go play... Uh, for the Lions than I think the Seattle Seahawks at that point. But I get the allure of Pete Carroll for sure. The other uh, free agent signing, Jonathan Stewart, went to the Giants. So he's going to be a Giant. The Giants have a veteran running back. I, again, sign Jonathan Stewart. Don't be worried. Like, if you're a Giants fan and want Saquon Barkley, th- them signing Jonathan Stewart is not going to change that. If they are gonna, if they want to get Barkley, they'll get Barkley. And uh, you're seeing today in today's NFL uh, – there's very rarely just the one running back workhorse. Now, we all love those guys, Todd Gurley, Zeke Elliott, Leonard Fournette, David Johnson, 
But the fact is that those guys are rare. And uh, the more common sense way to build your backfield is to have a couple solid guys, a stable of running backs, if you will, to carry the workload. I think Jonathan Stewart is a good veteran guy that knows what he's doing to where if, let's say, you get Barkley and he goes down or doesn't do very well, you can kind of spell him with uh, Jonathan Stewart and have him be a nice guy that can come in and give you what you need at the position, right? Now, he's not going to knock your socks off, but he's he's just a good veteran running back and I think a good guy to have in the room. One last signing before we get out of here. Uh, Josh McCown went to the Jets. Now, I thought that Teddy Bridgewater was going to go to the Jets. That was, I think, what was going to happen. They said Bridgewater was plan B if the Jets didn't get Kirk Cousins. Well, then... They were saying, okay, it's probably likely that Teddy's going to go to the Jets. Well, then this afternoon comes along, and it's Josh McCown. And Josh McCown now, I'm reading, it's just, it's story just been updated, that Josh McCown was told he's going to be the Jets' starting quarterback. So, I mean, and good for Josh McCown. I love that dude. He played some darn good football last season for the Jets. Uh, very interesting, I think, that they uh, bring in Josh McCown. So I think that that's another team that... that like the Case Keenum signing, sometimes it tells you a lot about the team's draft strategy. Them bringing a veteran quarterback back who's, what, I I believe he's also 39 years old. He's at the twilight of his career. The Jets are going to take a quarterback, man. They're going to take one. And they're another candidate to trade up for a guy if they like him and they don't think he's going to fall to them. Candidate to trade up. So that's going to wrap it up for this podcast. We'll be back tomorrow. Thank you guys so much for watching. Have a great day and see you.